Welcome to Grumpy GDPR. My name is Ria, founder of No Ties Consulting. And my name is Miloš Novovic. I'm an associate professor of law. Well, hello there, grumpy listeners. We had a small change in our schedule and you'll now hear the last episode before the summer and we will catch you again in the fall. And hello to everybody, grumpy or not, but preferably grumpy. Uh, hi, Ria. How's it going? I'm Well, it's going amazing. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. And I'm actually super, super excited for this episode. I've been excited for a real while because today with us, we have a super special guest who is Kian. Uh, Kian is a deputy commissioner in the Data Protection Commission of Ireland, who is in the role that oversees all of DPC's large-scale inquiries and investigations. Prior to joining the DPC in 2019, he practiced law in Ireland and tutored EU law. Uh, that is some impressive resume, resume there. And I have to say that uh, DPC's large-scale inquiries and investigations sound so incredible. So welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much, Milos, and thank you, Ria, as well. Thank you for the invite to attend on the, on the podcast today. I'm very much looking forward to it. Fantastic. My God, there are just so many things to discuss with you. I don't know with which question to start. Ria, can you help yeah. me out? <laughs> yeah, there's uh, so much we want to dive into here today. But let's start with uh, something more simple, maybe. Could you share one uh, fun fact about you? Do you have any interesting or fun hobbies or something else outside of privacy and data protection? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very good question. Um, there's, there's certainly a lot. I've, I've recently gotten into cycling here in Ireland. Um, and I just last weekend... Awesome. Took a break and cycled around the west of Ireland, um, which was really lovely. Wow. Um, tough work, a different type of work to my usual work in the DPC, um, cycling 60 kilometers a day, but um, as a beginner to cycling as well. But, <laughs> um, you know, a different type of uh, work, but I think a change is as good as a rest. So I've come back quite fresh this week and, and looking forward to the podcast. I have oh, my me. gosh. This sounds like you're really up for taking a challenge, you know, uh, both with your role at the DPC and with such intensive cycling, it really seems that you, uh, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's it's um, a fascinating workload that we have in the DPC. So we're, um, and as, as, you, as you're probably aware, we, we had a very significant year in 2022 and are continuing that work into 2023. Um, so very much looking forward to discussing some of the detail of that today. Wonderful. So one thing is that I've been saying for several podcast episodes now how I'm a huge fan of the Irish DPC. And a huge part of that was actually the way in which your decisions are written and structured. And uh, my God, there are many decisions to read now. Of course, uh, it varies from decision to decision, just how much detail you go into. But one thing that we really picked up on in this podcast is just how much uh, attention you pay to. Um, to different procedural aspects of the case, right? You go in depth discussing rules of evidence, you go in depth discussing things such as the right to be heard, which is something that uh, seems to be very important to you. So the question I guess I want to start with is why are you also, you know, looking into these aspects in such a detailed way? Yeah, it's, it's a very good question, Milos. I think really procedural fairness is at the core of what um, all of our investigations are about. Um, and I think that that procedural fairness, including reasoning the issues that you've outlined in the text of the decision, is really crucial to ensuring that our decisions are firstly sustainable in court and um, sustainable 
upon appeal. Um, we've certainly seen a lot of large fines issued around Europe by the different supervisory authorities, and some of those fines have been reduced significantly on appeal. Um, the Data Protection Commission of Ireland is really committed and eager to ensure that our enforcement is sustainable um, because really if our decisions fall on procedural point, I think that undermines the certainty that our um, enforcement otherwise should bring. You know, we're very cognizant of our role in bringing certainty to the law. And I think that our enforcement mechanism is one way in which we do that by pursuing the biggest issues, the issues of greatest consequence to data subjects, and indeed determining whether there are infringements on this fascinating new um, principles-based piece of legislation that we have in the GDPR. No, that just sounds wonderful. And I think that was one of the points of contention with uh, the ADPB. So, for example, when you discussed whether or not things such as surveys are adm uh, admissible, whether or not, you know, how should they be weighted as evidence and things, uh, ultimately thinking long term, basically, is what I, what I really, really like and appreciate. And it seems to me like it's a very good idea to pay attention to those things because they are just as important as the GDPR is. For sure. And, and certainly in circumstances where we are dealing with a um, significant amount of uncertainty in the law, in the GDPR still. I think that it's it's crucial that our decisions when dealing with substantive points of GDPR ultimately do bring certainty to the law. And the only way that can be achieved is if they are also procedurally sound. So that's certainly something we've seen from the first five years of GDPR enforcement, that the more decisions that are finalized um, and the more decisions that are upheld, the more certainty that is brought to the law and that in turn makes enforcement easier and quicker and indeed makes it easier for entities um, who indeed the vast majority of whom want to comply with the law, it makes it easier for them to comply with the law. That's such an amazing point because uh, we just now recently had a very much debated ruling from the General Court of the Court of Justice regarding the SRB versus the EDPS in uh, a decision where they annulled the EDPS decision because of uh, an, a procedural error. And uh, unfortunately, that seems to now be revolving around uh, the concept of personal data, which the ruling wasn't uh, actually about, in, uh, in my opinion, at least. But this really shows the point that procedural certainty is so important for sustainable enforcement. Uh, how, how can you not love that expression? Yeah. But I think both of you raise a very uh, interesting question, and this touches upon that relationship between the GDPR and everything else, more or less. And uh, so when did I become an Irish DPC fan? It was uh, the infamous 6-1-B, so contractual necessity discussion, right? And uh, one of the arguments you raise uh, in your decisions is that uh, contractual necessity has to be interpreted carefully. We can reach the conclusion that the EDPV, for example, reaches, but uh, we have to get through certain steps to do that. So in order to know what's actually necessary for the performance of the contract, uh, as autonomous as necessity might be under EU law, we need to know what the contract actually says. So what are the rights and obligations of the parties? To do that, we need to find out which law actually applies, and then we need to see uh, how that law affects the contract. And that could include everything from consumer protection laws, private international law, obviously, uh, and many other areas of law. And you seemed very concerned that you would suddenly be in this role where you have to rule on legality of so many things where you simply you know, 
do not have the jurisdiction to rule over those issues. Could you tell us a bit more about those concerns? Absolutely, Milos. Well, I think one of the key issues in terms of determining between what is a data protection issue and what is not a data protection issue is going to become even more significant now as we see a new wave of digital regulation emerging um, from the European Union. And I think in, in many cases, there won't necessarily always be a clear line between what is a data protection issue and what is not a data protection issue. So, for example, we 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 know that the Digital Services Act um, has been published and it provides for um, a definition for dark patterns and also bans dark patterns. However, we know that the GDPR um, also regulates dark patterns without necessarily defining it in that you know various different infringements of the GDPR could flow from dark patterns. And we know as well that dark patterns are clearly a matter for consumer protection authorities as well. So really, there's not necessarily a very clear divide between what is a data protection issue and what falls into other areas of data, other areas of regulation. And I think that acknowledging that is important. And in terms of finding an answer to the challenges that flow from what fits neatly within data protection law and what fits in another area of law, I think that you know coordination between different regulators is really crucial. Um, and in that respect, the Irish Data Protection Commission is a founding member of the Digital Regulators Group here in Ireland, where we work with other digital regulators, including the Consumer and Competition Authority here in Ireland, um, to ensure that we bring a coherent approach to regulation. Yeah. And I can uh, use this opportunity to remind everybody about recital uh, number four in the GDPR, where it actually uh, says that privacy is not an absolute right and it must be balanced towards other fundamental rights. So that's a good uh, thing to uh, to remember as well. And the concern honestly shared with other data protection authorities, right? We've also heard from the Norwegian DPA that uh, one of the things that also makes them quite grumpy is the fact that sometimes GDPR is used in unintended ways. So I only think that some more clarity on the EU level is going to be good. Also because at the end of the day, it will help you do your job. Absolutely. I, I think the emergence of a new wave of digital regulation is really crucial. Um, I think, you know, um, for example, in, in 2022, the Irish Data Protection Commission received over 30,000 um, contacts from members of the public. And we have a fantastic frontline team who are working hard to respond to all of those contacts. Um, in some respects, because the GDPR over the last five years has been the primary source of digital regulation, I think that there has been a tendency to fit all matters under the data protection umbrella um, so it's it's certainly very welcome now that the Digital Services Act, for example, will regulate content moderation. Um, the Digital Markets Act as well is, is very relevant and many other pieces of forthcoming legislation at, at an EU level will, will certainly um, help to vindicate data subjects' rights in, in different ways beyond the fundamental right to data protection in, in Article 8 of the Charter. Yeah, it's actually very good to see some uh, initiative there and to just hope that it actually works. Uh, I'm a bit, uh, you know, I have my concerns about the DSA, but uh, but I guess that is going a bit too far. Uh, but Ria, you also bring up uh, quite a bit about selection of the DPA cases, and I think you're the most knowledgeable person 
I want to say in the world when it comes to like a comparative <laughs> uh, <laughs> practice between data protection authorities. So do you remember some cases, uh, because now I'm kind of blanking, uh, which kind of stood out to you and uh, which were connected to these various interpretations of either personal data or just these procedural aspects of how do you treat cases uh, like we spoke about? Mm. Uh, yeah. Well. I think obviously, and, and you know, let's not exaggerate, but uh, I do read a lot of uh, rulings and decisions from across the EEA. <laughs> but um, I think that uh, the mo regarding the procedural aspects, of course, the Article 65 decisions from the EDPB and the DPC's decisions uh, on those cases are hugely important. And uh, we're also waiting on a very exciting clarification with regards to the EDPB's mandate in the, these types of decisions. So perhaps that is a good segue into a question about um, about that, the EDPB's mandate versus the National Supervisory Authority's mandate. So if you could speak a little bit uh, to that, Kian, and also I'll, I'll return uh, by asking about some of the cases that I find particularily interesting. Sure, that, that sounds good, Ria. Um, I think the EDBB has a really crucial role in the cooperation and consistency mechanism in terms of the binding decisions that it can issue. Um, we're applying uh, principles-based legislation to new technologies in our big inquiries, and, and the very purpose of those big inquiries is to pursue the biggest issues, the issues of greatest consequence to data subjects, and that often means pursuing issues that um, concern sophisticated technical operations that concern matters that haven't um, the GDPR hasn't been formally applied to before. So I think that the EDBB's role in terms of making binding decisions where supervisory authorities um, produce draft decisions is a really crucial one in terms of bringing certainty to the law because these issues are these big issues are coming in that mechanism for the first time before they get to the courts and before we have precedence from the courts. So one, one issue I'd highlight in that regard is that, um, and this is a decision that's been published, um, we're going back to 2021, the, the DPC's transparency decision concerning WhatsApp, which concerned a 225 million euro fine for WhatsApp and WhatsApp's infringements of the transparency obligations. Um, in this regard, the EDBB made a binding decision in respect of how fines ought to be calculated. And really, this concerned a particular provision in Article 83 of the GDPR that provides that where there are multiple infringements concerning the same processing operations, the amount of the fine shall not exceed the amount specified for the gravest infringement. So this particular provision wasn't um, necessarily further interpreted in the Article 29 finding guidelines. And the Irish Data Protection Commission took the position that this provision means that the fine imposed should be for the infringement identified as gravest only. However, we received a, a binding decision from the European Data Protection Board on this precise point, And the EDBB's binding decision set out how the reference to the amount specified actually refers to the caps provided for an 83, 4 and 5 of the mm. GDPR. So as I mentioned, this was um, the first binding decision in respect of this interpretive point. Um, and it brought very welcome clarity from the EDBB yeah. um, in, in terms of bringing a coherent approach to finding around the European Union 
Um, while, of course, the EDBB's binding decisions are binding only in respect of the specific facts, nonetheless, they do have that precedential value. So, for example, the Irish Data Protection Commission and every fine that it's issued since that binding decision has adopted the EDBB's interpretation of that provision. So I think that the EDBB, EDBB binding decisions are hugely valuable. Um, they're very much precedential. And, you know, we do know that certainly the vast majority of our own big decisions to date are subject to appeal in the courts. And ultimately the courts, when they make judgments, will have very much precedential effect. But in the meantime, the EDBB's binding decisions are, are massively valuable and are really crucial. Um, I mean, th these big issues are really being pursued for the first time in our investigations. So it falls on regulators to interpret the law in the first instance, and then the EDBB, and ultimately, in many cases, ultimately the courts as well. But certainly, I can say from the cooperation and consistency mechanism and, and the binding decisions that have come out from that mechanism that they are highly valuable and they do bring um, clarity to the law and certainly do help to coordinate the action of the different supervisory authorities around Europe. Yeah, and that was a significant precision in that decision. So I encourage everybody to take a read on that as well. And I think a super interesting and very important point is also to say uh, EDPB plays a hugely important role. They give very good guidelines. Uh, they come with binding decisions. But we also do have to remember that at the end of the day, there is a degree of control, a significant degree of control by the courts, uh, which is why some of the stuff, uh, what do I say? It's not like it shouldn't be taken at its face value. Now I'm thinking about controllers. Um, obviously, you know, the EDPB tends to be very restrictive in its interpretation. So at the end of the day, the case law has to settle some of the questions which EDPB has already addressed. Over to uh, what you asked uh, about, uh, Milosha mentioned about interesting cases. Um, I think also this could go into the question about uh, Kian's biggest takeaways from, uh, from last year. Yeah, thanks, Ria. I think it's a really good question and a really good time to answer it as well. So one of my big takeaways from last year was, you know, just the, the scale of enforcement action that, that came out of Ireland in terms of the big inquiries. Um, we concluded 17 large scale inquiries in 2022. We imposed over 1 billion euro in fines. And just to put that figure into context, um, that 1 billion accounts for over two thirds of all of the fines issued around Europe, being the European Union, the European Economic Area and the United Kingdom as well. Um, and in respect of those big decisions, uh, while the fines are significant, I think that really the other corrective powers contained in the decisions are at least equally um, significant, if not in many cases, far more significant to the types of orders and bans mm -hmm. and limitations on processing that we've imposed. So. We've seen a lot of big decisions around the accountability principle, around children's data, around data protection by design and default, around behavioral advertising and Article 61B, as we've already discussed. And I think that these decisions um, really are highly significant in terms of bringing clarity to the law and also in terms of the enforcement action and the corrective powers that follow. Mm. And I think uh, 
the decisions that you write are really well done. I have to say that uh, that they are fantastic for learning how supervisory authorities reason around the GDPR. And we've already spoken on this podcast before, Milos, about uh, some of the really interesting and the huge decisions involving companies such as Meta. But there are other uh, several other decisions that I really recommend uh, people reading. Uh, for example, you had the uh, Sloan Credit Union, you had the Bank of Ireland and other decisions uh, revolving around, for example, how to conduct risk assessments, uh, why they should be done, how you relate that to the processing that you do uh, to define what measures are necessary. So it's not only the DPC and the huge tech decisions here. I really encourage everybody to to read also some of the uh, smaller decisions and even those where you found that there were no violations. I think that was uh, Alliance Group and one other as well. Absolutely, Ria. Yeah, that Alliance um, decision. I, I think the other one was Arc Life, which was is an also an insurance company. I think um, those decisions are really important um, in terms of setting out the scope of the GDPR. Um, both of those decisions mm. actually concerned personal data breaches, separate personal data breaches that were suffered by the different insurance companies. And the Data Protection Commission commenced inquiries to determine whether there had been infringements of the GDPR in respect of those personal data breaches. And really, um, I, I suppose the published decisions do set out the, the both entities had significant technical measures implemented, that they had significant training and awareness amongst staff, that mm. the record management that they had in place was significant, and that there were significant internal policies in place as well. So having regard to the risk caused by the processing and also the measures that each company had separately implemented, the DPC found that there was no infringement of the GDPR, despite the fact that there was a personal data breach, a significant mm. personal data breach suffered. Um, so, you know, I think when we talk about 100% compliance under the GDPR, um, it's important to note that in these decisions, no infringements were found. So um, I think 100% compliance doesn't necessarily mean that mistakes don't happen, but certainly the GDPR applies a standard of appropriateness in respect of security. It frequently applies a standard of necessity as well. And when you're interpreting issues of necessity and appropriateness under the GDPR, one really does have to have regard to the specific processing operations ongoing and what is appropriate in respect of those processing operations. So, you know, the GDPR doesn't provide for a strict liability standard. Um, in some cases, personal data breaches will happen and it doesn't necessarily follow from that that an infringement has occurred. But having said that, uh, Ria, as I'm sure you're aware from, from our decisions that are published, we have many, many decisions published that do find findings of infringement where personal data breaches have occurred so um it's it's really it's really crucial yeah. to look in the nuance look at the level of risk and look at the measures that were implemented and among those measures it seems like you're actually placing a very heavy emphasis on the accountability principle you brought up trainings mm -hmm. you brought up the general company culture the existence of policies and the ability to actually prove that you're adhering to those policies which I think is actually a very reasonable take uh, and basically also tells you uh, it helps people out there, it helps the DPOs to, uh, to basically demonstrate it's not just about writing policies, it's not just about giving general trainings, it's about the ability to prove that you have actually done something in practice that you're trying to make a difference, right? Absolutely, Milos. I mean, um, 
Article 5.2, the accountability principle, was probably one of the biggest changes brought to data protection law by the GDPR. Um, and one of the focuses of our office has been to bring certainty to the scope of that requirement under Article 5.2 of the GDPR to demonstrate compliance. I think perhaps a good example of that is one of our big decisions um, concerning Meta. Um, but I think the reasoning in that decision, while it naturally applies to a big technic, tech, technology company, um, I think the reasoning would be equally applicable to SMEs and, and all entities seeking to comply with the GDPR. This is the Facebook 12 breaches decision where the DPC imposed a 17 million euro fine. And essentially, Facebook and Instagram, those services suffered a range of personal data breaches, um, which were caused by software bugs in Meta's code base. And the DPC, just, just like in Allianz and ArcLife, um, the DPC considered in, in a lot of detail what measures were implemented by Meta in terms of the risk of processing. And ultimately, the DPC did not find that Meta failed to implement appropriate security because uh, Meta's approach to bug management was really reflective of industry best practice and the state of the art. However, the DPC, and hence the 17 million euro, million euro fine, did find that Meta failed to um, implement appropriate measures to be able to demonstrate the security that it had in place. So, for example... Gosh, that's such an important distinction. Absolutely. It's a crucial distinction. And perhaps this example might, might really nail that dis distinction because Meta had policies mm. in place for secure coding practices at the relevant time, but it infringed the accountability principle by failing to yeah. maintain records documenting adherence to those practices in the context of the 12 breaches. So it's a really crucial distinction. That's why there's an infringement of Article 5.2, yeah. but not an infringement of 32 or 5.1f, for example. Um, so I think this decision does show a, a good example of accountability in principle. Um, and really, uh, maybe it underlines the importance of when making significant changes to your processing operations, how important it is for a DPO or for a controller to ensure that those changes are documented as they're made. Yeah. People, you listening to this podcast right now, please rewind and rehear that a few <laughs> times because I just can't underline uh, what how important this is. And, and this is the reason we've already podcasted on this, Milos. Yeah, I think I think this is actually such an important uh, point, and uh, I think you as well often bring up how important documentation is uh, under the GDPR, not just because it's uh, legally required, but also because it can actually uh, set up the whole company culture. Yeah, absolutely. Less is not more when it comes to the GDPR. I keep saying. <laughs> So, Kian, if you had uh, one tip for the DPOs, what would that be? I, I think the main tip really is to know your organization's processing operations. It's crucial that the DPOs can really get to know their organization, get to know not just the purposes of the processing, which, of course, is one element of, for example, the transparency obligations, but also knowing the processing operations behind each of those purposes, how do they actually achieve the purposes of the processing and what does that look like? What does it entail? You know, this is something that's also required in light of the transparency obligations. So, you know, a data protection officer really needs to know what those processing operations look like 
And really, as, as the decision I just spoke about um, really underlines, if you are changing those processing operations to document it and to ensure that you're complying with your transparency obligations when the operations change, that you're complying with your all of the principles in Article 5, and to document how those changes are implemented. Yeah, and I think also another thing to bear in mind is that uh, these things are also something that's also important for the smaller companies. So uh, in addition to all the cases where you're dealing with big uh, multinational companies, I think that this is something which can be also very relevant for the SMEs, uh, which also kind of shows us that uh, the big cases you handle are important not only because they solve quote-unquote, the big problems, like, you know, the social media and the tracking and everything everybody is talking about, but that they actually create consequences for data protection law down the line. They give uh, good examples. Sometimes, you know, they raise actually the requirements um, imposed. Uh, not re it's a wrong thing to say that they raise the requirements, but basically they are a valuable resource for the SMEs, right? That's absolutely correct. The the. The principles of the GDPR really apply equally to all sorts of controllers. Um, now, the GDPR, of course, is scalable um, and the standards of appropriateness and necessity really help to make it scalable so that the type of security you might expect from a large technology company processing a lot of sensitive personal data is not the same standard that's required under GDPR for SMEs. But nonetheless, the principles are equally applicable to both. And I think really the, the big decisions and the big inquiries are, are a valuable resource to SMEs as well for a number of reasons. Um, I think that these big decisions are, are pursuing the biggest issues and, and seeking to bring clarity to where there, there is not clarity. Um, similarly, the, the big decisions are the most likely to be appealed and, and subject to litigation and therefore precedence from the courts and from the European Data Protection Board as well. So I think that the big decisions really are a valuable resource in terms of interpreting the scope of the GDPR and in many cases as well, in terms of directly applying to SMEs how the, how the principles might be applied. So um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, with uh, my dear carpenter, Kian, but I keep <laughs> talking about this uh, carpenter who struggles with the GDPR. And uh, we can't expect the carpenter to read these decisions. So if you had one tip to the uh, carpenter folks of the world, what should they do? What is the minimum that they should focus on? Well, I think that the GDPR is often a complex and challenging document uh, piece of legislation to apply. But really, what, what, I'd, what I'd advise um, your carpenter is to focus on Article 5 of the GDPR, the principles that are provided therein, because yes. the principles really simplify what data protection law is trying to achieve. Um, and when we bring it back to the principles, even, even it's, it's advice that, that might apply to your carpenter, but may, may equally apply to somebody who's who's struggling with a difficult interpretive point under the GDPR. When you bring it back to the principles, you understand what the GDPR is trying to achieve, um, how it's trying to implement the fundamental right to data protection provided for the Charter of Fundamental Rights. And I, I think that those principles are really the guiding light um, and they are um, provided for and further developed in other areas of GDPR. Um, but if you bring it back to the principles and, you know, data minimization, um, you know, all the various principles, basic security around whether it be, you know, 
um, soft copy documents or hard copy documents in, in a filing system, it's just really crucial to, to implement those principles and, and really for, for, I think, much of compliance, it, it really is a question of common sense in terms of implementing those principles. I think at this point we've created like a literal and metaphorical echo chamber on this podcast because we always <laughs> keep going back to Article 5. I, I guess it's very natural, but that is actually a very valuable tip. Yeah, it's. Uh, I love what I'm hearing. Uh, folks, again, take note of this. We, uh, we keep uh, coming back to that. And that is a good segue into uh, rounding this up, Kian. What is your favorite GDPR article? Well, look, I, 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 I may have given it away, Ria, but certainly <laughs> Article 5 is my favorite. As I mentioned, I, I think when we're, we're dealing with really complex questions about the application of the GDPR, it's, it's incredibly helpful to return back to the principles to have a, a, an understanding of what the purpose of the GDPR is and how it tries to balance the fundamental right to data protection with other competing rights. So, you know, these principles really are a guiding light that allow us to balance those competing rights and they simplify and remind us of what data protection is really trying mm -hmm. to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. Final question we have to ask, what makes you really grumpy about the GDPR? Do you know what, Ria? Um, I think, you know, <laughs> in answering this question as a regulator, I, I have to really talk about one of the big challenges of GDPR enforcement. Um, so that is, you know, just to give maybe a balanced approach to the principles, the principles-based nature of the GDPR creates a significant challenge in terms of enforcement because the GDPR mm. doesn't expressly detail how many of the biggest issues ought to be regulated um, in, in, in the context of the GDPR. So for example, what is the correct lawful basis for behavioral advertising or how can entities comply with the transparency and consent obligations without causing user fatigue and many, many other questions. Mm -hmm. But in terms of being grumpy about this challenge, I think as well that the principles-based approach of the GDPR is one of its great strengths because it does allow for the protection of the fundamental right to data protection when responding to new technologies, perhaps technologies that weren't foreseen when the GDPR came mm -hmm. into effect. And in that regard, I think it's it, whenever I, I might get grumpy about a, an interpretive point, it's, it's always useful to remember that it's a real privilege to work in data protection law in this era, in this point yeah. in time in its history, because we are working in the era of big ideas when the scope of the core concepts of the GDPR are still being clarified and when new technologies mm -hmm. are constantly emerging. And it really is these big cases that will set precedence for years to come and decades to come. Um, you know, there are currently 45 references before the Court of Justice of the European Union on data protection issues that are going to bring really welcome certainty yeah. to the scope of the GDPR. So I think it's useful for any data protection practitioner to remind themselves when they are facing an interpretive challenge that it really is a unique and um, interesting time to be working in data protection law. And it, it certainly is a privilege to be facing these issues and um, facing them often for the first time in, in terms of setting really mm -hmm. significant precedents for decades to come.
That was such a wonderful point, but I have to raise an objection. It's by no means, it's a beautiful and optimistic point, but it is not grumpy enough. So I believe that, you know, uh, we will certainly speak again at some point, and uh, we would very much like you to get grumpier in the meantime. <laughs> that sounds good, Milos. I'm sure I can get into that with a bit more time and, and some of the specific challenges that, that do cause um grumpiness yeah. but sure look it's 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 um it, it it's been a privilege um discussing these matters with you today and um i do appreciate you inviting me onto the podcast thank you so much for your time today thank you thank you once again to everybody out there take care and have a wonderful day as it says take some time to read the decisions and we will be back soon we will take care bye bye bye